0: blog talk radio
1: hello this is nick augustine and i'm here with attorney mark scroggins of scroggins family law in dallas serving dallas Collin, and denton counties this is the scroggins family law podcast series featuring news and information in texas divorce and family law today's show is all about amicus attorneys and attorneys at litem We're going to talk about when an amicus attorney is used in a family law case as opposed to an attorney at litem. We'll talk about the various duties and functions of both amicus and attorney at litem, and we'll talk about how amicus attorneys and attorneys at litem are selected and discharged in family law cases, and, of course, we'll discuss what to expect when an Amicus attorney or an attorney at Litem is involved in your case, and we are here with Mark Scroggins, who's board-certified in family law, he is an aggressive and experienced trial attorney. This is a general information program. This program does not contain legal advice. Information listening to this program does not create attorney-client relationships. Mark, good morning.
0: Good morning. How you doing?
1: I am doing well and excited to talk about uh, an interesting topic that sometimes has people shaking their heads because they're not sure what these other folks are. I mean, we're used to divorce cases where uh, dad has a lawyer, mom has a lawyer, and then we have a whole new cast of characters that can come on in line. And uh, among them are the amicus attorneys and attorneys at litem. So let's jump right into it. What are the difference between the two? And how and when are they used?
0: Sure. Uh, well, and let me mention one thing. You're going to hear me refer to it as an amicus attorney, and that's just because I can't stand the sound of the word amicus. So uh, mm. so it might not be proper pronunciation, but that's how I do it. So anyway, uh, here's the thing. A, a An attorney ad litem or an amicus attorney can be appointed in any child custody case. The key term there is appointed. Okay. So this is this is the exception to the rule it is not something that happens very often and it typically is going to happen only in a situation where it is uh highly litigious and you know there these parties are 180 degrees apart so the big difference between the two and you can have although i think it's confusing but you can have one person appointed to act in a dual role of amicus and attorney ad litem. Now, I personally think that that is a conflict, um, but that is not what the rule of law says right now. So no matter how wrong they are, I guess they think they're right. (laughs) So (laughs) in (laughs) any case, the difference is an amicus is basically an extension of the judge. Okay. They are appointed by the judge – to make a determination or a recommendation, I should say, to the court of what they believe to be in the best interest of the child or the children. Okay? Now, the distinction between that and an attorney ad litem is that the attorney ad litem actually represents the child or the children. So they are there just like I would, let's say, if I'm representing mom okay i'm there to zealously represent mom's interests and what her desires are you know within within the scope of the law of what i can what i can do okay the ad litem is supposed to do the same thing and so where this is really gets really interesting is let's say you've got kids that are 13 14 15 years old okay your job as the Ed litem is not to make your own determination of what you believe is in the best interest of that child, but is to represent what that child wants. So let's say that, you know, there's been a social study. Uh, or now, as they call it, a child custody evaluation. I guess I'm just getting too damn old, and I'm i so used to old terminology. It's, it's difficult to change. I'll call it but, what I want, you know. That's right, you know, the old curmudgeon, get off my lawn. So, Get uh, off my lawn, uh, kids. Right. So, um, and that's where, you know, people can people can get confused here. So this amicus is going to or uh, I'm sorry, the ad litem, representing kids, let's say there's a a child custody eval that comes back and says that uh the recommendation is that the kids live primarily with dad and i'm representing mom okay and so we ask and ad litem to be appointed because there is a situation where you know the kids are saying we don't want to be with dad you know he he represents x y and z to the court but behind closed doors this is what's really going on but nobody sees it okay the ad litem's job is to represent the interest of his clients, okay, and to try to facilitate that. Um, and the ad litem is acting just like any, you know, they're, they're acting as a separate party, whether it's an ad litem or an amicus. So it can, it, it's a really interesting situation, um, and it's not something that happens a lot, but it is something that happens occasionally. Now it can be, you know, there can be, an ad litem is going to be appointed in other situations as well, like, you know, in um, in adoptions. Or, uh, you know, you're going to have an ad litem that's going to be appointed in a CPS case. Um, a lot of the time I think those ad litems get confused and think they're an amicus, but um, they're actually not. So, so that's the distinction between the two, and it is um, – It's not something you deal with every day, but it can be an incredibly effective tool in the right type of child custody litigation where there is the money to pay for it.
1: I was going to, that was going to be my next question. Um, You know, I'm picturing the 13, 14, and 15 year olds and, um, you know, wondering so does each, each, does each, is there a situation where each child might have their own separate attorney at law, or are there is there one attorney at law for all those kids? And do those kids have to pull their uh, their uh, you know grass cut money to pay for the person, or who who pays? How does that work? Who's the, who's the well, client? Yes, who's the yes no.
0: that relationship? <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, typically what is most common is you're going to see one ad item for all the kids. Okay. Uh, Mm. But could you be in a situation where there are different ad items? Absolutely. You could. Um, And that's going to be um, in a situation where there's a conflict between the kids. And I mean, a conflict in a, uh, in a legal sense, one wants one thing, one, you know, one wants something else. Okay. And so, you really can't have an ad litem effectively representing two different points of view um, just because there, you know, there's a huge conflict and you would be contradicting yourself and, you know, your examination of, of witnesses and and all of that. So, uh, so it, it uh, typically is one, it can be more than one. Uh, Now, how is it paid? It is going to be paid by the parties. And while the kids are a party to the lawsuit Uh, those are not the parties that pay. The court can order that one, either mom or dad, pays it in its entirety, or what is more common is there's going to be a split uh, of those fees. So, you know, whether it's 50-50 or, you know, whatever, 70-30, 60-40, generally that is how it's going to be paid.
1: Hmm. Okay. All right. So what are the general procedures – what do they do what are the the features uh you know what are they writing reports are they directly interviewing are they participating uh in hearings uh you know so what do they do okay
0: uh let's let's start with the way it way it comes about okay one party one party both parties or you know the court on its own motion could appoint but typically it's going to be one party is going to file a motion seeking to have an ad litem or an amicus appointment, okay? Then uh, you're going to have a hearing on whether or not that is actually necessary. You know, and a court can shoot that down, too, can say, no, I don't, I don't think so. I can tell you I've got a case right now where we are actually uh, going to a jury trial here in a month. And, you know, last minute, the you know, this other party has has asked for a jury trial, and now they've asked for – Uh, the appointment of an ad litem or an amicus, Um, you know, and I think it's kind of dilatory tactics in my opinion on this, but, you know, whatever. So the court will make a determination of whether or not that's actually necessary. In this case, I don't think they will, but let's say you've got a situation where the court does appoint, let's say that the court appoints an ad litem. Okay. The ad litem is going to act just as, any other lawyer for a party in the litigation it's a little more i think it's a little easier to visualize this when you think about um general civil type of litigation so let's think about all the litigation that just took place when you had the horizon well uh explode in the gulf of mexico a few years back okay so you had you had a bunch of different defendants right You had Halliburton and BP and assorted others that were involved, um, you know, with that, with that platform. And so they all got sued. Well, it's just like, you know, an attorney representing BP is different than the attorney representing Halliburton is different from uh, the one representing Oceanic or Transatlantic or, you know, any of the assorted other defendants. And I might have gotten some of those defendants' names wrong, but but it's the same type of thing in, uh, in family litigation. So let's say that we're in a hearing and there's a witness on the stand. Let's say that it is um, the principal of the middle school that two of the three kids attend, okay? Dad's the petitioner. So dad's, dad's attorney's gonna go first, then mom's attorney, then the ad litem, okay? So the ad litem is gonna participate just like any other lawyer. Now, an amicus attorney can do the same thing, um, can absolutely participate in the same way that uh, that an ad litem would, but they also have some, since they're really kind of an extension of the court, you might also see a situation where if the court asked the amicus to prepare a report on what his or her findings are or his or her recommendations are, uh, you know, you very likely will see that. And that's where I think an amicus can kind of act a little bit more in um, kind of akin, a little bit more akin to what a child custody evaluator would do, but, but different, obviously, because you don't have, um, you know, that person is not a mental health expert and that person is – uh doing this in the context of litigation rather than from the standpoint of a mental health expert so they're going to interview witnesses they would, and they're going to talk to people but it's a, it can be a little bit more of an investigatory role
1: mm-hmm. it just it's so. a little it just gets confusing again which because it right. sounds like that child custody evaluator and the amicus attorney are doing the same thing but One one's a lawyer and one's not. It just still, you know, the
0: the amicus, the amicus is a lawyer. They're both lawyers. Okay, there's a difference. You might be thinking about a guardian ad litem, and a guardian ad litem might not be a lawyer. That might be a mental health expert, or you know, say you see that in CPS situations. Both both the amicus attorney and and the uh, ad litem, the attorney ad litem, both are lawyers. The big difference is think about it the If you've got an attorney ad litem that is appointed, they are representing the interests of the child. So it's just like if I'm representing the interests of dad in a case, okay, it's the same thing. Uh, It's just the attorney ad litem is doing the same thing for the kids. So if kids come and say, you know, we think, you know, dad is a low down, no good, you know, SOB, blah, 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 blah. We want to spend the majority of our time with mom and we want to spend as little time with dad as we possibly can that is your job as the ad litem is to try to make, you know, make that happen. It doesn't have a damn thing to do with what you personally believe is in their best interest. Just like if I'm representing, you know, mom in a case and mom wants to, you know, be sole managing conservator of these kids and have, have dad, uh, you know, have very limited contact. uh, I might not personally believe that that is in these kids' best interest. But my job is to zealously represent the best interest of my client within the context of the law and, and informing her along the way, obviously, of what I believe to be realistic and unrealistic with both the, the, pros and cons of her specific case. So it's the same, it's really the same thing there. You can think of the amicus as more, you know, they're going out there and they're going to interview, they're going to have access to people where you typically wouldn't, okay? So they're, they might be able to arrange, you know, to sit down with mom or to sit down with dad, and obviously the lawyers are going to be present, but they're also talking to the kids, they're going to talk to collateral witnesses, things like that, and they might be making a recommendation to the court. Okay, mm. so it's just there's a there's a difference there.
1: More being an investor, I like the investigative. That, that explains it well. Um, it kind of sounds to me that, The more uphill battle you may have, the more likely it is the amicus attorney or the attorney at litem may be to your benefit.
0: Correct. That is absolutely dead on. Yeah, I think it is. If there is money to be able to pay for it, and um, I kind of look at it, it, and this makes it sound worse than it is. It almost is like, you know, the, uh, kind of a last resort type thing. Uh, and it can be a last resort type thing in, in different scenarios. It can be a last resort type thing where, hey, nothing is going your way, and you know that you have very little chance of accomplishing what you want to accomplish. Um, so you're grasping at straws and you're just, you know, it's a Hail Mary. Um, so it can come into play that way. It can also come into play where, and this is what the way it came into a play and uh, in, came into play for me in a case a number of years back. Um, it was kind of like the scenario I was talking about earlier where you had the kids that were saying that, you know, dad acts this way behind closed doors, you know, and it was all about, as you know, in, in, you know, all the standing orders, and anytime you end up getting a temporary restraining order or a temporary injunction, it's going to say that you're not supposed to be discussing the litigation with with the kids, okay? You're supposed to try to insulate them and keep them out of all the crap that goes on. Well, there were allegations in this case, and I represented mom, that that dad and stepmom were just grilling the kids over this. And, of course, they denied it, flat out denied it in court, and – you know, oh, no, that's not true, and blah, 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 blah. And we got an ad litem appointment. And this is one where, frankly, I had to have some some real strong conversations with the ad litem of, you know, remember what your role is. Your role is the ad litem. Your role is not as an amateur, Because dad and stepmom presented real well. Well, one of the girls ended up uh, <laughs> tape recording one of these uh, – one of these situations where they were getting grilled and, uh, that came out and this was after the lot had been, uh, you know, had been involved for a while. And, uh, let's just say that, you know, it turned, it turned everything on its ear and, uh, you know, dad went to jail for a while and, um, you know, lots of lots of other stuff happened, but, so it could be a situation like that where the kids are saying something of this is what's happening over at mom's house or over at dad's house okay and but you just can't you know you can't prove it because you've got the other person that's lying and so the only the only people that are there are you know the kids and that other parent and so then it leaves you in a very difficult situation where are you actually going to put a child on the stand in this litigation to testify, you know, and it's not that you can't, but it is really heavily frowned on to do that. So you've got to be real careful in, in doing that.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm just going through uh issue spotting as, is, you know, trained to do. I'm just, right. I, I mean, I'm, if I'm someone who wants to do family law appeals, I am like Pavlov's dog listening to this. So many opportunities for appeal. And I would think that right. in the cases where there are funds to uh, you know, invite amicus or add attorneys at ad them to the party, there may also be funds to appeal the results
0: yeah and you can uh, you can absolutely have that happen i mean you know but uh you know what no matter how well healed <laughs> or how well off most people are financially, there are very few that truly have an endless stream of cash to spend on a cadre of lawyers uh you know in litigation, especially if it is blowing and going i mean you are you know, you can get into millions of dollars in fees. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, you can you can easily get into hundreds of thousands in fees. You know, quickly. It doesn't it doesn't take a lot, especially if you've got you know multiple lawyers firing on all cylinders, and you've got you know depositions and all kinds of other written discovery and multiple motions going on. I mean, it. It will drain the wealthiest of individuals in in a hurry. So it's you know,
1: I've heard not people to make mention, comments
0: before. Go ahead.
1: I was just going to say, not to mention, it's going to take
0: forever. Well, there's no question about that, and the, you know there, those cases where, um, you know, they were both walk outside on a on a sunny day, and one says the sky is blue, and the other says it's purple you know, or it's red or it's yellow. They, I mean, you know, can't agree on anything. I mean, just and have such a high level of acrimony and it's really sad because uh, the, um, you know, the child get child or children get forgotten in this, in that, um, you know, the parents become so staunch in their beliefs that the, the other parent is, you know, uh, (laughs) <laughs> the spawn of Satan. Yeah. <laughs> that you know they're doing everything they can to keep them away from the child, and it's just frankly, unless you've got really, really, really severe circumstances, you're doing absolutely nothing but harming the child or children in that scenario.
1: Mm-hmm. What about scenarios in which an uh, abacus attorney, or uh, attorney at law is involved, and? It's not going how either party expected and okay. there's buyers remorse can you uh, what are the opportunities to discharge this individual um, and and, and th- another kind of follow-up question of that if you don't like their reports and you think that they are off their rocker uh, what mm-hmm. rights and opportunities does the lawyer have at that point as well
0: well I mean what you're gonna you know It's kind of the same thing you do when, you know, you get a child custody evaluation that uh, is not the way you would like. You attack it. You know, you look for the weak points and you try to show that um, the person had, you know, the person had bias or they did not uh, properly apply the facts or they did not adequately interview or take to heart the uh, testimony of collateral witnesses or, you know, so that's the way you basically go about trying to attack it, Um, you know, and, you know, well, did you do this or did you do that? Did you talk to this person and why didn't you, you know, take this into consideration? And, you know, if you knew this, would it change your mind? I mean, so it's the same type of thing that you're going to do with, you know, other witnesses that have, have reports or basically how you deal with any expert that you don't like what they're saying. Okay. Um, As far as the ability to discharge them, that's, that's kind of rough. You know, especially with an amicus, I mean, you, uh, well with both, I mean, with an ad litem, you know, you would basically both of them, you're going to have to file a motion to have them discharged. Okay. And, you know, maybe you go in and you're saying that uh, now, oh, my God, this we're spending so much money, I don't have money to pay this person anymore, okay? So maybe you want to try to take that tack. Uh, odds of that working, I think, are slim, but you never know. You know, it's kind of, if you're already in the, the Hail Mary business, it doesn't hurt to throw another one if you've got to do it. So, you know, another is, and this is one where, you know, you need to be real careful on this, is you basically have to say would have to say that the ad litem is not doing their job you know hey this person has been on the case for you know this amount of time they they haven't even you know talked to the talked to the kids they're not responsive to to calls from the kids they haven't done you know this that or the other they haven't been participating in hearings they haven't had questions of any deponents they have you know they haven't sent out any written discovery they have all of these different things so that's the way you'd have to attack it now you know, that is – you need to be careful before you fire that shot is the way I would put it, you know. So if you're going to basically accuse someone of, you know, professional malpractice, you better damn sure be squared away yourself
1: and, <laughs> right. and make
0: sure that, uh, you know, you don't want to get a reputation for doing that because you will – you will not just harm your client. In this case, you will harm other clients that you currently have or future clients because that kind of crap travels, you know, um, people hear about that. Judges hear about that. And especially if something is unfounded, you know, it's kind of the whole thing, you know, if you're going to kill the king or if you're going to shoot the king, you better kill the king. You know what I mean? (laughs) So that can't, you don't, you don't do that stuff going off half cocked. I mean, that's just, that is really, really a poor decision. Um, well, I, I, we've, see, amicus, we've seen it I though. Mean,
1: we've all we've all seen it, and and I mean it just drives. I cannot believe the the routes and the paths that some people like to take, and some people don't mind that. And you just got you got to know who you're dealing with.
0: Well, here here's the thing, okay. You know, and this is this this goes into a whole different situation, but it's it's a perfect example of why it's so important. You need to hire the best lawyer that you can find. Um because good lawyers, really, really good lawyers, you know, that have been doing this for a long time that are board certified and you know, and they run in a certain you run in a certain circle. They're people that I have cases with all the time, okay. You know, I know that we might be incredibly, incredibly aggressive in the way we handle stuff, but nobody is making personal attacks on stuff unless something is warranted. And, I mean, and I mean, it really has to be warranted, you know. Uh, the problem is that you end up with, um, you know, and this is going to sound like the get-off-my-lawn kind of thing again, but you've got some young lawyers out there, that don't understand that you don't make personal attacks against other people where it's, where it's unfounded, you know? And so they try to do that and that gets into the, you know, takes you into the, uh, the mud pit that you just, you don't want to go there and judges don't want to see that and they don't want to hear it. Uh, and it pisses them off, frankly, you know, and it, it hurts your own reputation. And I think you've got, some lawyers out there that have uh, mistaken aggressiveness uh, and personal attacks to be one and the same, and they are not.
1: Right, right. Well, that just comes with experience and maturity, absolutely. Right. So, just uh, for people who, how does someone decide? I think, you know, I think I want to add this to um, you know my uh, all the different hats that I wear in family law. Maybe I'd also like to be uh, an amicus attorney or attorney at litem, um, who makes, who? who's a good candidate to do that? Um, what type of things might they do? Do they, uh, get put on a list? Do they do any special training? Uh, what's involved in becoming an amicus attorney or attorney at litem?
0: Yeah. I mean, typically there's some ad litem trainings, uh, that can be had, you know, pretty much anybody who is, uh, board certified is going to qualify, um, Excuse me. the the person that I'm gonna want to do is someone that is that is experienced in you know high level family litigation. I mean, so that's typically who I'm gonna I'm gonna ask someone that uh, you know I think has a has a lot of experience and knows how to handle a child custody case. Um, you know, I might see. You know, different lawyers that I know I might think have different propensities or you know, some are more hard-nosed than others and are better for certain types of cases than others, and those might be the ones that I make recommendations. Sometimes the court is going to take the recommendations of the parties. You know, maybe the parties agree on, um, you know, on someone, or uh, you know, other times the court is just going to go ahead and appoint who they believe is the best. So typically there are people that are on lists for ad litems. Um, you know sometimes those folks are really good sometimes in my opinion they're really not Uh, I would much rather try to remain in the driver's seat as far as the selection process goes uh, because there's nothing more frustrating than you know you get someone uh, you get end up getting somebody appointed that frankly you don't have a lot of respect for that you don't think is any good and and that is, and the reason that you feel that way is because of past experience, you know. So you want mm-hmm. somebody who's going to be solid in in doing this kind of stuff because everybody's going to be spending a hell of a lot of money, you know. So that's why I think, it's, you know, you're always better off trying to work with the other party on someone that you can agree on if, uh, uh, if there's going to be an appointment.
1: Yeah, very interesting, very interesting thing. I hope that – I hope that most people may go through the uh, divorce and family law process without having uh, too many cooks in the kitchen, so to speak. Um, again, right. uh, Mark, you're wise to stress, get a very good experience board-certified family law attorney in the first place. Um, right. Very interesting uh, topic, though, today. For people who want to follow up and talk to you more, what's a good way to get hold of you?
0: You can always get me at the office at 214-469-3100, or you can shoot me an email at mark at scrogginsfamilylaw.com, and uh, we'll get back to you, you know, real quick and get you hooked up. All
1: right. For more information also, please check out the website, scrogginsfamilylaw.com, where there is a library of blog articles and videos testimonials, all sorts of good stuff. You can learn all kinds of things right on the website, ScrogginsFamilyLaw.com. Mark, I've enjoyed talking about this this morning, and uh, we'll be back next month with another exciting topic in Texas divorce and family law. Until then, have a good Friday.
0: All right, everybody. Have a great day. Bye-bye. All
1: right. Bye-bye now.